testing, 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 testing. Got an idea. Got an idea. What's the idea? Give me my phone. Is it recording? It is recording. Okay, wait. What you got? Siri, give me an A. That may be beyond my abilities at the moment. <gasps> you're, Siri. Your Siri has a British accent. Siri, give me an A. That may be beyond my abilities at Yeah, Siri's a British man. Oh. Is your Siri? No. No, an American lady. An American lady? Yeah. She's like, I'm sorry, Lauren. I do not understand. I'm sorry, Lauren. I do not understand. That's what she says to me all the time. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Are you going to do the introduction? I want to just find an A. Give me an A. A. Hello, you're listening to Bonnets at Dawn, the only podcast that pitches Jane Austen against the three Bronte sisters. I said that, but I don't really know if that's true. I imagine it's true. I've looked into it. Have you? Yeah. I've looked into like literary podcasts to see if anyone else is doing what we're doing. You know what I like to do? I just like to decide I'm going to do something Mm -hmm. and I just do it. You just do it. Bonnets at Dawn, the only, the only one. The only one. I'm one of your hosts, Hannah Chapman. I am Team Austin. And I am another one of your hosts, Lauren Burke. I am Team Bronte. But not for long. (laughs) Not for long. Not for long. So if we just like swap sides? Yeah. I I mean, I feel like it's more likely that I would... become more of a Bronte fan than an Austin fan at this point, just because of how little exposed to the Brontes I was before this project. Yeah. Um, But I just love Jane Austen. It's not just her writing, you know, Mm -hmm. it's her and her spirit and her life. And I've read her letters. I think she was great. And the more I hear about Charlotte Bronte, the more I think she was, you know, not... Not pushing forward for her sisters all the time. She kind of wanted to be the best. It's true. That's not nice. It's not nice, but you know, um, I think that like spirit of competition though sort of bred excellence. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can't argue with because you love Jane Eyre. Yeah, I do love Jane Eyre. Yeah. I've not finished it yet though. I've got like two or five more chapters. That's true. It could all go down south for you. Um, so tonight we are live from the podcast hut. Yeah. Which is really just the wood paneled room in the back of my house. Um, But we've got blankets. We've got woolen blankets and some soft lighting. It's a bit of a chilly night, but we're all, you know, we're tucked in. We've just seen The Bachelorette. Yeah. Episode three. We think Peter's going all the way. I would like to go all the way with Peter. I know. Me too. He's a winner. He's a winner. He's a winner. Um, you know, by the time this episode airs, The Bachelorette may be over. Unclear. Yeah. So hopefully we're right. I might put some money on it. Yeah. A little flutter. (laughs) I got $10 in my purse. Let's do a little Vegas betting tonight. So this episode, 
Lauren is going to tell us all about a certain dog killer mm-hmm, called mm-hmm. Heathcliff. This is a continuation of our podcast from last week where we were pitching Darcy against Heathcliff. And telling you a little bit more about Regency Gentlemen. Yeah. And so you're going to be telling us about Victorian hunks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's just pre-Victorian. Okay. Right? Just a, just a little bit before, you know. But we're, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk about it. But what makes a Victorian gent? Just time. Just the time-wise. Like he's, he's at the end of the Georgian era. So um, Emily said this book... I think the timeline is from some, somewhere in the 1770s yeah. to 1802. And I, yeah, so it's, so it's it was around like there. there wasn't anything different in terms of what they had to do or behave like. Not terribly, but we, there is a little bit, you know, the industrial revolution is a little bit more present. Mm-hmm. And, um, the way that, you know, the Brontes are thinking about money, um, with all of their books. Is, is different. Yeah. I think. It, yeah. Yeah. But some of this is very similar themes, very similar things are going to crop up here. But, um, but yeah, shall we? Yeah, you dive in. I'm all is. All right. You're just like, you know, you're just getting comfy in that plaid bl- blanket. Oh, I fall asleep. Oh, no. Don't do it. Thrill me. I'm going to thrill you. Okay. Here's the thing. I did a Google search. For musical acts that have the name Heathcliff, after, you know, last week's episode, we saw a Regency gentleman. Mm-hmm. But I could not find a band that uses uh, the name Heathcliff. There's probably one out there. You don't need a band because you've got that song. You've got, like, one of the most famous pop songs of all time. And his name's in it. It's true. But I still haven't listened to that pop song yet. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Maybe at the end of this episode, we'll see how much time we have left, and then we will... It is in... We'll, it's insane that you've never Google heard this. that song. Yeah. Never heard it. I don't think this is the right time. I almost feel like that needs to be the finale of the podcast. <laughs> Just wait. I want to record. I want to record you. I want to do a reaction video, actually, yeah. is what I would like Just to like do. Just, like, some video as well. Just of me if, watching it. Yeah. Okay. That's what we're going to do. All right. We'll, like we'll, 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 we'll do it in it. August. We'll do it in August. You'll, okay. You have to wait until August, guys, because this is going to be lit. I haven't even heard, like, even at, like, 10 seconds of that song. I don't know how it goes. I'll give you I a I don't hint. know the lyrics. It's about the book. Yeah. And, like, that is the storyline. I did hear that she had not read the book when she had, like, recorded the song. You know, well, Colin Firth hadn't read Pride and Prejudice, and he wrote, directed, and you know, <laughs> just did the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Prejudice, so. In case you don't know, we are talking about Kate Bush's Wuthering Heights. Oh yeah, just in case. Just in case. Just in case. You're, you're probably you're smart people. If you listen to this podcast, you're actually probably smarter than us because I've been looking at the people who've been following us on Twitter, and a lot of people with like PhDs and Victorian studies and whatnot, and it makes me very nervous. But um, they're probably, like, fact-checking the way that I used to fact-check that Tudor show with Jonathan Rhys Myers. Yeah, I mean, you don't need to fact-check that. That is all fiction. It is all fiction, but it was just, like, it would just was fun for me. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, let's talk about Heathcliff. And uh, so, yeah, no bands with the Heathcliff name. But there is a musical. Yeah. And... It is starring this guy called Cliff Richard. 
<laughs> Cliff Richards or Cliff Richard? Cliff Richard. Oof. You can't pluralize it. It's just one guy. <laughs> so he's really something. I had never heard of him until I saw this YouTube video of him, uh, sort of like behind the scenes. Young or old? Uh, I would say 40s, 50s. Old. Old. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, I was really trying to figure out who to equate him to. You help me out with this. Like, he's sort of like a British equivalent to like a Donny Osmond, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, but I, like what was corny. the first? What was the first thing I said? I said unsuccessful Elvis. You, yeah, you said unsuccessful Elvis. Yeah, yeah. Because the Donny Osmond thing, it's like for those of you who don't know who Cliff Richard is, because if you're not from England, you right. possibly don't. He was a like handsome young man mm-hmm. who, in like the 1960s, I think, starred in lots of Technicolor musicals. There was one where he was riding around on a a double-decker bus okay like playing the guitar and like he sang and Mm -hmm. he acted and then he kept singing Mm -hmm. and he was putting out like records and stuff Mm -hmm. and then as he grew older his fans grew older yeah yeah and older yeah and he kept going and they all just got older Mm -hmm. and he didn't get any new fans and so you've got all of these like older women and they would, they just go nuts. And I think it's not mm-hmm. because like Cliff Richard, he looks like a corpse in a wig now that's been sprayed like a flesh color. Right. You know, um, and in fairness, like he still gets on stages and he swings his hips mm-hmm. and people, I think when they watch it, I think, I think they like, genuinely are just seeing this younger guy, like the oh, guy yeah, that they yeah. first fell in love with, you know? Yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, he's had some stuff in like the media recently. Has he? Yeah. Ooh, ooh, we should steer away. You should, we should Google it. Okay. Just like, it was just, I think like there was just a whole big thing. I think he might have been a queer. But it's like, it's just like a really broad thing and like lots of names in the UK uh, came up. Oh Uh, God. I'm pretty sure his name is in this. Oh God. Is this slander? Do we, is this, is that when we get into the realm of that? Nah, nah, nah. I mean, you know. I can, I'll show you. Okay. The and then you can tell me if we need to. Cut this <laughs> we might need to cut. No, I mean you just said there's some stuff in the media. You guys are free to Google it as we are googling it right now. Ooh, yeah, yeah. But he was figured. like he was. I think he was just found to be um, like. Well, we can read this headline. Yeah, so the headline is, I'm too scared to hug fans. Sir Cliff Richard reveals the false child abuse claims have stopped him from t- uh, talking to young fans. So, like, um, a few years ago, we had, like, this huge scandal in the UK. Uh, and it comes up, like, it's the sort of thing that comes up a lot. But um, television presenters and personalities and uh, people, like, back in the 70s and stuff, and then allegations come out. And then mm-hmm. um, I think maybe this was around the same time as Jimmy Savile. So it all just came out and then his okay. name was thrown into the ring. And okay. um, lots of people were found innocent. Some people weren't. And it's it's just, it's murky. Oh, I is. didn't. I didn't pay much attention to it, to be honest. But oh my gosh! All right, Cliff. I've learned something new. I felt I didn't. I don't. I. I don't want to. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I was just like, he's just this guy, you know. Like, oh, where's a wig? I don't, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Well, he he sort of he does have a Donny Osmond quality. Like, sort of, he's religious. He's very corny. He's, you know, done Broadway or not Broadway, well, stage and like sort of the adult contemporary. Didn't he sing We're All Going on a Summer Holiday? 
Maybe. Sure. Do you know that song? No. Oh my gosh, I always sang it to you, but I'm not I'm not gonna sing on this podcast. Oh, okay. Tease. I'll sing it to you after. Okay. Afterwards, yeah. Um, well, I will say this. Go on YouTube and just Google Cliff Richard and Heathcliff, and so many videos will come up. Like there's like a behind the scenes, part one and two, there's like the songs. Um it is really interesting to watch. Um especially because like Cliff is just like really into this part and he is just like chewing the scenery. And actually I I think this is what's really interesting about Heathcliff is that every actor that plays him just really like goes full tilt, to be honest. And um, I think that's because Heathcliff is like so big and dramatic and he's just a fascinating character. I think he's actually sort of like Hamlet in a way. Like, Hamlet's one of those roles that, like, just every young actor wants to play. And that's sort of, like, your crowning glory. You know, if you are a British actor, like, you need to play Hamlet, like, before you turn 40. I saw the video of the David Tennant one. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, there's just spittle. He's a a very manic Hamlet. But you know what I say about David Tennant. He is a national treasure. Oh, he is. I was like, (laughs) what do you say? No slander here. No, I don't no, know. Give him no. a kiss. He is a national treasure, you guys. Him, Billy Piper. <laughs> love that guy and love that gal. What a pair. What eh? a pair. Eh? What a run. Beautiful. Oh, Watch him do anything. Um, but yeah, I just, you know, I'm I'm over Hamlet. I've seen like a lot of Hamlets. I've seen David Tennant's. Um, I spent a lot of money to go see Benedict Cumberbatch's Hamlet. Ooh. <laughs> Which I did not care for. But Captain Wentworth was in it, actually. Was he? Yeah, he was. Wait, which? Because he's been played by another Uh, Kieran Hines. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Also known as Mance Raider, (laughs) if you watch Game of Thrones. And um, he was great. Yeah, he's a great actor. Great actor. He was great. Didn't he play um, Magwitch in um, uh, Great Expectations as well? Like the one that um, Daniel uh, Radcliffe was in? Like, years ago. Possibly. Was that him? Was that? I feel like he played Magwitch. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. It feels or right. was that the guy from Shirley Valentine? Mm. I thought, what am I talking about? I don't yeah. <laughs> I've seen an adaptation of Great Expectations. I could not tell you who played Magwitch. It's, I guess, the moral of that story. My um, husband auditioned for the Ethan Hawke one to play the young Ethan Hawke. Who's Ethan Hawke? Uh, in Great Expectations. There's an Ethan Hawke version. And I believe... I believe Gwyneth Paltrow's in that as well, and Anne Bancroft. Oh, like the actor? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't yeah. know who the actor is, so I was just like, who's Ethan Hawke in Great <laughs> no. Expectations? Which character? The actor. <laughs> You've never seen Reality Bites? I didn't really... No, oh, I don't know God. Oh, God. I feel so old. Okay. All right. Never mind. So, um, back to Heathcliff. Actually, Kieran Hines would be a, a great Heathcliff. I don't know if he's ever played he's him. He's too old. He's too old now, but like back I mean, in the day, he would have been amazing. He, I mean, he's really good at everything he does. So, yeah. I, but I feel like he actually is a, an actor I would have liked to see in that role. Anyway, um, I think they do have some like you know similarities. You know, like they're obsessive, they're passionate, they're grief stricken. You know, they're like the, both the hero and the villain at the same time. Like it's just like a lot. Like you get to do a lot as an actor mm-hmm. in this role. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about Darcy last week. Yeah. (laughs) Just a little. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, 
And I want to get this out of the way. And I want to say I love Darcy. And I said that last week as well. Right. Because Pride and Prejudice is one of my favorite books of all time. It's it, definitely in the top three. It's, yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Um, and this is like a really hard battle because I'm like trying to go like Darcy versus Heathcliff. And uh, I know that Darcy is universally loved. So I'm just like acknowledging this and saying that I'm on your side as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. However, I don't feel like Darcy is much of a character on his own. Like I said last week, he's just such an empty vessel, you know, for you to pour your own sort of like hopes and dreams of a man into. Like, I don't think like there's there's no actors who are just like, I can't wait to play Darcy on stage. It's going to be awesome. Whereas Heathcliff, like an actor's like, oh, my God, I get to do it all. So, um, yeah, I just feel like in terms of a character, Heathcliff is like, just got it. He's like the full package. I'm going to say something that might be shocking. Yeah. I I think that's like almost a fair statement about a lot of Jane Austen's um, like romantic interest. She, I think she's yeah. better at writing a male villain than she is at writing. Yes. Um, a, like a hero character. Yeah. Like the, you know, like they have like a few problems, but it's never like, I, that's, yeah, no, I think you're, but I think that's just because I've read Mr. Rochester, you know, and I was swooning. Yeah, yeah. Swooning. Yeah, right? And where is that? Although Mr. Darcy does say that he ardently admires and loves her. He does. He does. And he's got a great speech. I love it. It's a great, a great we, speech. We talked about how it's, amazing yeah. it is. Sorry, this is your time. This is your but, time. But the thing is, here's the thing. As far as like in the in romantic terms, I don't think that Wuthering Heights is a love story. And, you know, there is a very passionate romance or relationship at the heart of the story yes but i think that we need to divorce ourselves from thinking that emily bronte was you know writing this as a romance she's not a romance writer Mm -hmm. um i think honestly this would be easier for people if emily was a man okay you know like i think people they want to put her in the romance box because this is a story that has a relationship that's very passionate it has very you know Mm -hmm. beautiful big romantic language but it is a cautionary tale. I don't think it, it is not a love story. She is not saying that you should fall in love with Heathcliff. Okay. That is not a thing. So in, in my, in my interpretation, that is not how we should be reading this text. So, you know, I get a little disturbed when people do, you know, when I talk about this book and they're like, yeah, but Heathcliff, like I, you know, I would never want to marry Heathcliff. I don't want to be with Heathcliff. And I'm like, no one would. <laughs> Obviously, right? I mean, if you do want to be with Heathcliff, then you need, there's some things you need to think about. Um, you can't have any pets. <laughs> you can, I actually, I don't yeah, know, like, I I really don't know enough about the story. I just keep bringing up this dog thing. So maybe yeah. you'll get to that. But... I will tell you a little bit about the dog thing. Okay. Um, it's upsetting because you know I love, you know I love pups more than anything. I just was half watching an adaptation of it and it just happened. It, Yeah. Several times. It happened several times. (laughs) He's brutal. He's brutal. Um, But uh, yeah, I just, you know, again, it's, it's, he's not a romantic ideal. And if we are going to talk about this in terms of romance, like just think of it like Lady Gaga's like bad romance. I am not familiar enough with that song to get. (laughs) You don't listen to that song on the treadmill? 
No, I listen to like whatever the pre-prescribed music is that my running app oh, for yeah. losers tells me to that listen to. Really like it's awful great music. Treadmill so song. Okay. Great. I, I'm going to give you a list of treadmill songs. Cool. So, you know, what I'm saying here, basically, is he's a more compelling character in liter- literary terms. Okay. And um, he's not a more compelling romantic yeah. <laughs> ideal. Um, just for me, he's like, you know, he's like Bethany on The Real Housewives of New York. You know, like she's a monster. Which one's Bethany? She's the one that has the skinny girl margarita line. Yeah. She's very, very thin. Yeah, yeah. Dark hair. I know. I yeah. Know. yeah. She's just, I mean, I don't want to be friends with her, but I want to watch her. Yeah. So there you go. Like that's, I feel like how you should be thinking about Heathcliff, right? Fascinating to watch. Don't want to be anywhere near it. He was really hot in the one that I watched though. <laughs> There you go. Good job casting. There you go. Um, so, you know, you did watch you did watch that one. And that one is actually very interesting. Um, because they do make the choice to make him... Is he, I guess he's mixed race or he's black in that version. Yeah. Which um, I really I, I really agree with that decision. And I'm really happy that they did that. So um, let's just roll this back a little bit and talk about who Heathcliff is. In case you haven't read the book... Maybe you've just read the Wikipedia page, which we keep saying on the podcast, like, read the book. It's free on Kindle. Just get it. It's great. Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> read the book. Read the book. Lauren's read it. Um, she says. I know. Maybe. <laughs> Once. <laughs> Who twice. knows? Three times. Who knows? No, I've actually read this book a lot because I didn't, you know, and I've said this many times. I didn't like it the first couple times I read it because I wanted a romance. Mm-hmm. And then I was disturbed by these characters. But then you go back and you reread and you reread and you're not, you're not reading for romance. You're reading for other reasons. Like the language. The language is so good, guys. So anyway, Heathcliff. He is um, an abandoned child. He's just yeah. left on the streets of Liverpool. And he is adopted by Mr. Earnshaw, and he's brought back to Wuthering Heights. So, um, oh, and Mr. Earnshaw also just calls him Heathcliff, by the way. We don't know, you know, Heathcliff's real name. We don't, he doesn't really have a last name. I mean, I guess you could call his him whole Heath- name, his whole it's name just is Heathcliff. Heathcliff. Like his name is just Heathcliff. And okay. um, his child's like surname is Heathcliff. So, you know, he like, you know, Colonel Fitzwilliam. In my theory. He's Heathcliff, Heathcliff. <laughs> He's Heathcliff, Heathcliff. Just like Fitzwilliam is Fitzwilliam, Fitzwilliam. Which I, I don't know if that's true, but I really want to start that conspiracy theory. So let's make it happen. Um, Mr. Earnshaw, I can't talk, already has a family. So he's got his wife, he's got his daughter, Kathy, and then his son. Um, so this sets up a conflict right away, right? So you bring in this child... And you've already got two kids. You've already got an heir. But you bring in this child and you like this child better than you like your own son. So obviously his kids at first really hate Heathcliff. Kathy comes around to Heathcliff. Um, The son, however, um, does not ever. One of the things that I like about that adaptation is that they do use um, a black actor. Heathcliff's... um, heritage is really unknown okay. we just we kind of refer they, they refer to him in sort of clouded terms okay. in the book but it is you know hinted that he could be 
gypsy, he could be Roma, he could be Indian, he could be black. Um, Liverpool is, you know, a slave trader hub. So, you know, it's unclear. But um, this is one of the first things that I sort of latched onto when reading it in high school. And it's something I really wanted to have a discussion about in high school. And I would bring it up to my teacher, but they were very dismissive. And people are very, very dismissive of this. And I think that it's something that actually that really needs to be talked about. Because I think, um, and I, I, I have said this on this podcast before. I don't know if it has been cut out because it just got into a really long discussion. But I am, um, I'm a woman of color. I'm very, very light, though. So, yeah. I mean, there's lots and lots of mixing um, in my family. I love British literature. And it just, you're, you don't get a lot of diversity, mm-hmm. right? So this is one of the first times in, you know, my Brit Lit class where I'm like, oh, we can have a conversation about race. Like, here we can actually have an interesting discussion. Um, but people just, they don't want to talk about it in terms of Heathcliff. I don't know what that's about. Um, but I think Heathcliff, and I know this too from like, I went to, you know, very white high schools. Most of, you know, the people I interacted with were white and, you know, where we lived. Um, and I presented as something slightly different. People were always like, not quite sure what I was. And, people would come up to me on the street and they'd like, just like look at me or like touch my hair and just be like, what are you? Like, I can't tell you how many times I've like had this discussion with people. They they can't quite figure out that I'm black, but they just, you know, they aren't quite sure. And I feel like Heathcliff is this like strange outsider person too. Like people are just like, what are you? We we can't tell. We know you're different. And um, I think that's a big part of his character. So he, I mean, he feels like an outsider. He knows he's always going to feel like an outsider. Um, people are you, you always can't escape. You it. can't escape it. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and I think because he is mixed race too, it like throws people off in a slightly different way. Because I am, you know, I'm I'm light enough where people don't really understand that I'm black. And I feel like a lot of times they'd just be more comfortable if they knew that I was black immediately. That makes sense. People want to be able to put you in a box and be like, yes. this is what the situation is. For sure. And then yeah. sometimes I think I, I pr- like people are sort of on edge until they either get the courage to ask or, you know, I say, I have to say, you, so, I have to out myself, something. basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I, I, I always felt that was, a, that, that was always my reading of his character. I could be t- putting like way too many personal feelings into that, but that's but that is how what, That is. is what you do when you read. Yeah, Exactly. And um, I think that his relationship with Kathy is like, Kathy knows exactly who Heathcliff is and also Mr. Earnshaw. They know exactly who he is and they love him and they accept him for it. And these are the only people that have showed him kindness. These are the only people that have showed him love. And so this is, I think the, when he loses Kathy, I think he, he's like, I've lost my hope of love from anyone because this is the only person that's ever like truly known me and accepted me. And now I'm just lost forever. So I think that's a big part of this character. And again, it's just swept under the rug. I'm so sad. <laughs> so, so sad. Um, he's brought back to Wuthering Heights. And it is like, you know... Who is this? Is this your bastard child? So that's another theory. Like, did Mr. Earnshaw just see Heathcliff, like, starving on the street and feel terrible for him Mm -hmm. and then adopt him? Or maybe it's his bastard child with, like, 
with a you know with some woman in Liverpool when he was there doing business, you know, who knows really. Um, but it's one of the many like mysteries of Heathcliff. And that's sort of like what I enjoy about him, to be honest, because he's got a lot of mystery. Um, let's see. Oh man, I got, I went off, off schedule with my notes here. But anyway, anyway, that's exactly what happened uh, with me in the last episode <laughs> is that because I think we've both done so much reading around the subject and because we both know the characters so well, it's really hard when you're talking about it and you're trying to make sure that you get all of your notes. Yeah. But every every point that you're making links to every point that you're making. Yes, for sure. And so there's a lot of jumping around. So if it seems garbled, if it seems like nonsense, we're so sorry. It's just there's so much to say and you want to make sure that you're saying it right. There's so much to say. Like, this is why we had to divide this into two episodes because I'm like, oh, there's just so many feelings. So, um, I mean, yeah, so like the the first big blow to Heathcliff happens when um, Mr. Earnshaw dies. Like, that's huge. And Mr. Earnshaw treated him like a son and treated him like someone who, you know, he wanted to raise him like a gentleman. And then he's gone. And um, the brother, Hindley, I'm like, why am I blanking on the brother's name? He comes in and he's like, Heathcliff you're a servant. Like, don't talk to me. Don't look at me. Don't look at my sister. Like, you're nothing. You're garbage. How often does that happen in these stories? Because that's what happens to Jane Eyre. Yeah. Like, um... Yeah. Just... Well, I feel like it was, um... You know, I'll go more into this, like, in the book as well. Like, sort of Emily Bronte's inspiration for this. But there are, like, cases in their family history of, like, of their family taking in like orphans and then that breeding sort of like bad feeling between the family. So this is something that happened in their, their family history as well. Um, So I can only imagine what they were hearing in their store, you know, in in their home. And then also um, when Emily briefly worked as a teacher, there was a very sort of similar situation um, in a nearby family. Yeah. So this was happening a lot. I mean, I guess, you know, like people are, yeah, 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 I mean, there's definitely examples of stuff that's similar, like with, you mm-hmm. know, poor poor relations being taken to other families and not just this thing where it's like, you've taken me into your house, but like, who am I? And it yeah. can't, one person can't just be like, this is how it's going to be. Because right. you're at risk then, like the child is at risk if that person dies. Yeah. Who Who's stepping up and from the sound of it, like Heathcliff just, like Kathy's not in a position to do that if she's his right. age and she's a child. Exactly. And she's, you know, and she's a woman as well. Yeah. She's not the heir. She has no control she over She can't this. make the decisions about what what's going to happen. Right. And her brother is, you know, he's abusive. And she's also stuck in a bad situation, to be honest. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, there's a lot of feeling in that middle bit. And there is like, you know, are Catherine and Heathcliff going to run away together and just be happy? Um, I think a lot of people just say like, oh, yeah, she should have just run away with Heathcliff and married him and everything would have been fine. But um, she's not in a position to do that. You know, she's a woman. She is trapped. She um, has no money. She's in an abusive like household. She um, starts kind of hanging out with the guy down at the Grange, who's Edgar Linton. Very nice guy. He comes from a very genteel family. It's just, it's the opposite of her home life. It's yeah. just like, it's sort of a safe haven. And then he finally proposes to her and she's like, you know what? I gotta, 
I gotta do it. Um, and what's weird in the book, and you know, you can we can have like a whole separate podcast about like why Kathy doesn't, why why she doesn't marry Heathcliff. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I think it's just it's she wants to escape her situation. Mm-hmm. I think she and she also she loves Edgar in her own way. Um, I think she loves what he represents, you know, it's not only her way out, but it's a way to like move up in the world. It's a way to be safe. And strangely, um, I don't think that she thinks it's almost like she thinks like, even if she marries Edgar, like Heathcliff's still going to be around like some in some way, it doesn't occur to her that he's going to be like upset (laughs) by this in a way. She kind of is like, no, I can, I can still... I can help you out. Like I can get married and I'll be rich and I'll be, you know, in a position where I can help you in some way and you can get out of here. Like we, I can save us both. And Heathcliff's like, is there any that's currency not it. She has. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And he's just like, how could you think that? Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I'm getting out of here. This is fucking bullshit basically. So, um, yeah, it's, it's basically when Kathy says I'm going to marry Edgar is when he goes like, full tilt villain. And um, Heathcliff does this thing that appears in like all of my favorite movies and books, which is like The Count of Monte Cristo, Princess Bride, Sabrina. It's like he goes away. This is like an ultimate fantasy, right? He goes away and he gets money mm-hmm. and he gets hot mm-hmm. and he gets like manners. Doesn't he though in that film? He does. Yeah. And then he gets revenge. Ah, yeah, wonderful. Yeah, right. That's fantastic. It's like a total fantasy of mine. <laughs> just like whenever I've been scorned or been like just upset about something, I'm like, I'm just gonna leave and I'm gonna go become like the best version of myself. Yeah, and then come back and throw it in everyone's face. <laughs> I like to think that Which I'll is- like leave and then become the best version of myself. And I'm, I've gone. It's good. Then, yeah, yeah. That's like, that's like, a, that's like a it's healthier so nice. way. That's a better way of doing it's it, so to nice. be honest. Like, like, the revenge part is not good. <laughs> you think it will be satisfying, but it's not, which is ultimately the point I'm of Wuthering Heights, to be I'm honest. I'm too cowardly for revenge. And if anyone ever asks me advice, I'm like, don't do it. <laughs> no. no, no, no. What, what are you saying in that mess? Delete, delete the second half of it. <laughs> Whatever you think is a good idea, just delete it. Just don't. Just don't. So yeah, but you know, but Heathcliff does. And that's what makes it, for me, a really interesting book too, right? I mean, that's like, yeah, that's like Bethany coming back to the Real Housewives and them just advertising it like (laughs) the bitch is back. (laughs) And you're like, oh no, someone has come back to just reek. What if the Real Housewives is just like a retelling of the themes of Wuthering Heights, but designed for like an american audience yeah as opposed to like it could be. a victorian british audience <laughs> well, then i feel like i need How to go make this current <laughs> i need to like go back to school and like write my thesis on that okay a hundred percent there you go i would actually maybe also go the route and i don't even know what i'm saying right now but i'm just i'm just thinking <laughs> Having out loud a fever dream in the yeah. podcast hut right now <laughs> Someone has left the lid of a permanent marker off and we are, like, high on some fumes. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is not going to make any sense at all. But just, like, has reality television sort of made us... And just maybe even, like, it's, like, the modern 
like culture or modern like television, like Breaking Bad. I'm thinking about like anti-heroes. Like when we watch reality TV, Mm -hmm. do we want to watch just like good cool, nice, sweet people just, like, making it through the world? Right, but, no, but this, like, is, this is the point about Fanny Price. So, in uh, during the Regency, like, novels were about... Um, a, when it comes to female characters, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm talking about, I couldn't, I couldn't say for men, but it was always the story of a virtuous young woman who has done no wrong being put in a situation that is out of her control. Right. And these things happen to her. And the tension is, can she remain pure of heart like look mm-hmm. at um Tess the Durbervilles right all of these things happen to her and she is a victim and the mm-hmm. whole thing is just like you just feel for Tess mm-hmm. and then she fucking dies <laughs> right and she is just dead okay <laughs> and Fanny Price in Mansfield Park is the only one that fits that trope mm-hmm. because the shift started to happen where people were like, wait, I don't want to write like this. This isn't real life. People yeah. aren't one dimensional. Exactly. And so we started to introduce flaws and all that's happened is that we've started to introduce more and more and more flaws until suddenly you've got more flaws than virtue in some characters mm-hmm. and you're writing about the villains. Yeah. And it's because people like you want to hear those stories because if mm-hmm. that person can make it, then there's hope for you because you're yeah. not as bad as the per it's that guy, right? So for sure. If that guy can come through, then so so can I. I haven't killed any dogs. I'll be fine. <laughs> you're gonna be fine, right? Is that well? I think it's also like it's just I have always also been more attracted to the antihero as well. Like I just find that to be an interesting story. Like. I don't know. Like, I mean, I've always, you know, I'm I'm a Marvel girl and I love Loki. Like, I want, like, oh <laughs> making a face at me right now. But yeah, no, like, I, I want to see, like, what, you know, uh, I know what happens if I turn left. Like, what happens if I turn right? I don't want to read Mr. Rochester's 10-page, m- like, monologue about <laughs> why he's a bad guy. Like... It was a low point for me and Jaina. Like, sure. I uh, just fine. Like, go and sow your wild oats. Mm-hmm. I kind of just care about Jane. Like, you're swoony. This is great. I just, like, I don't need to know how dark and how bad things got for yeah. him. Like, I it's, uh, Well, I almost wonder, and I'm just, again, thinking out loud, we're, we're high as kites on marker fumes over here. Like, the Brontes were living with um, an alcoholic. So yeah. Bronte, or Bronte, Branwell is, you know, he's got the opium going. He's drinking all the time. And I feel like they are really invested in sort of like explaining to you these these characters, right? Like yeah. wh- where these guys have gone wrong. Um, because, you know, I'm, I'm guessing they've seen this in their brother as well. Like they're like, he is a good guy at heart. Like, but... Something has gone wrong here. Mm-hmm. And um, they are trying to explain it. I think it all all three sisters kind of like share that. Um, so They're trying so, to understand yeah. what's going on with him through their writing. And, and like, I think it's really characters. sophisticated for the time too. Like they really are trying, to, they're dealing with heavy things. I mean, Wuthering Heights is dealing with alcoholism and abuse and just, I mean, it's, it's a lot of stuff yeah. um, for someone who, you know, we, you know, modern. We can't look at this through a modern lens, really. Exactly. Too. So That's, yeah, you know. So yeah, very impressive that she's like trying to like she's presenting you with this guy who Mul- is brutal. He's multifaceted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but he's she's really yeah she's really trying to get you to understand him and um i think it's really brave and it's one of the reasons why i'm just like oh, this is a piece of literature that you you should be reading and i'm really passionate about that and this is a character that also you can just return to is the thing and every time you're like okay, well, there's that. And that's interesting. And I don't, you, I've been thinking about it, I think, you know, for like 11 years. So, you know, got that going in his favor. Actually, more than 11 years. I'm like much older than I think I am sometimes. <laughs> 16 years. Anyway, anyway, so, you know, um, we talked a little bit beforehand about how Withering Heights uh, takes place between like Somewhere it's like the, starts in the, like the 1770s and then um, ends in 1802. So it's not quite the Victorian era, but this is a period of rapid change, like due to the Industrial Revolution. And um, as you know, and I think we have talked about before on the podcast, the Industrial Revolution really created a consumer economy and a middle class. Mm-hmm. And um, there were more opportunities to make money. And the Brontes wrote a lot about just like these people who were just acquiring new wealth. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like also specifically thinking here about like Agnes Gray in particular, because um, it's about new money people and like how they like hired governesses for show. Like this was a really of particular interest to these girls because, you know, they were getting work out. They were getting work out of it. And they were sort of firsthand like witnessing these new money people and how they were behaving and um well because these these parents these people like they wouldn't have had the governesses so it's trying to make you're you're trying to prepare your children for a world that you have no clue how to navigate and the best way you can do that is to give them all of the same things that the the rich people people that are born into it have and if that's a governess then it's a governess and if it's sending them to a fancy school it's sending them to a fancy school and if they have to know how to play the piano they will even if you don't. For sure. Yeah. And there's, um, actually I was watching this documentary about it, which a little bit of a sidetrack, but it was about the, uh, the Brontes in particular and how like, um, so like ads for governesses at that time, like they wanted you to be really accomplished, but they, like the most important thing that these guys wanted is that they just wanted you to be sort of like chill and cool and like maybe look good in a dress. So they're like, we don't actually really care what you teach our kids. Like, we just want you for show. Yeah. And um, with Charlotte, I find this really interesting because she ended up working as a governess for uh, a girl who was fr- she was friends with at school at Rowhead. Okay. And so that adds another dynamic to it. Like, we used to be friends, but now, like, I don't really understand what our relationship is. And I'm just kind of here so for show. So was she her governess or was she hired for her by kids. her? For hired, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it was like, you know, if I hire you to be my nanny, which we've discussed. Yeah. Except but I then I'm also like, long. you've got to like, you know, wear this dress and like, don't talk to me. And like, we can't go out. And, I don't, I don't have any qualifications from Norland. I think, I don't know if I'm allowed to wear the uniform, you know? Oh yeah. Well, we'll discuss it in your we'll contract. It, okay. Yeah. But um yeah, so um new money problems. So they're kinda they're kind of like playing. New money, that. new problems. <laughs> oh boy. Hashtag new money, new problems. <laughs> We've got another one. Yeah. Yes. Our hashtag game is great. Yeah. I like it. Justice for Jason. Ratchet bondage. <laughs> so um Heathcliff he becomes new money. 
Which, uh, yeah. And this quote, um, now this quote is from 1903. So it's a hundred years after the book, but I do really like this quote. I don't know. I came across it the other day and it kind of just made me think of Heathcliff. So, um, the quote is the old saying that it takes two generations to make a gentleman is being refuted every day. For Americans are remarked not only for their facility in amassing fortunes, but in furnishing themselves with presentable manners on short notice. So he's got this fortune that he has amassed. Mm -hmm. And then he also has like manners on short notice as well. Um, Heathcliff has only gone for three years. Where does he go? Oh, where does he go? We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Um, There's a couple of theories on this. Um... Maybe he went to the army. So I think Nellie Dean, who tells the story of Wuthering Heights, she talks about how his carriage is different, like how he care. You know, mm-hmm. he it seems like he has maybe been in the military. Um, so it's a possibility. Three years, pretty short time. So yeah. unclear. Um, I read a really interesting theory that maybe he became a slave trader. Oh, uh, again, unclear. So he goes somewhere. Maybe he becomes the Dread Pirate Roberts. Who's that? Oh, have you not seen The Princess Bride? No. What? It's the best movie of all time! This has been like my... The bane of the last six weeks is that I didn't watch a lot of movies when I was a kid because my parents oh, like yeah. threw me in a forest and I built evil houses. Okay. Well, we're going to actually like, we might have to like cut this podcast short and like just go watch The Princess Bride because this is actually... I think you need to read your notes and right. tell these lovely people what they have come here to hear. And it is not about my movie watching history. Ghostbusters. Maybe I'll leave for three years, yeah, and I'll come back and I'll have watched Indiana Jones, not the one with the aliens in. Maybe I'll have watched it and maybe I'll hold myself differently. And maybe I won't. Maybe. Maybe. It's a maybe. mystery. No one will ever know. No one will know. No one will know, but everyone will write blogs about it. Oh, God. Okay. So, you know, so we don't know where Heathcliff went. But um, I do find this to be, again, another thing that I think about, like a comeback to, like like a delicious nut. Yeah. Where did he go? How did he get that money? How do I do the same? In any case, it's, 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 I know, guys, sorry. If you can hear my dishwasher in my sink and also that sound. That John is making in the basement. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> My husband is also like he's like installing a new dryer. It's it's a whole situation, guys. So I apologize for the noise. Um. Anyway, um, he comes back. He's got fancy clothes. You know, he's got a great new haircut. He's you know he's a, he's a gentleman. But he's not, a gent. He's a gent. Um, and he's going to just, you know, exact his revenge. Um, the thing about revenge, though, is that there's just like no end point. Like you're never satisfied. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's never enough. So it can make the situation worse. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what happens, right? Like he comes back and I mean, spoilers, there's spoilers all over this podcast. But, um, you know, he should, obviously he shows up at Kathy's. First thing, like, hey, remember me? Like, you should have married me. I'm hot now and I've got all this money, but you're married to that guy. So, fuck you. 
Um, then, of course, he starts flirting with her sister-in-law. Like, you know what? Look at this. Look at this. This girl's interested in me. Look at look at what a gentleman I am now. Like, look how accepted I am now that I'm good looking and I've got all this money and people look at me a different way. But they kind of don't. You know what I mean? Like, they, they do, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah. A bit... A bit like persuasion. A bit like persuasion, actually. Yeah, you're not wrong. Because Wentworth goes away and then he comes back. And like, that, it's not her like sister-in-law. It's um, her sister's sister-in-law's family. And they're like, mm-hmm. he is great. But then her family, they have to start acknowledging the fact. And yeah. it, it's awkward and it's tense, but they do have to. Yeah. They have to like, they have yeah. to acknowledge him in public because everyone else is. Yeah. He's a war hero, you know? New money, new problems. New money, new problems. So, I mean, um, so yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of want you to read the book. Like, now I'm like, ooh, do I want to tell you any more about what happens? You have a problem with the dog thing. I don't, yeah. Okay. So, like, maybe let's, like, address the dog thing before we move on a little bit. Um, Emily Bronte was, you know, even though she punched a dog, allegedly. Mm -hmm. I don't want to get done in for slander here. Um, allegedly punched a dog. I have read in multiple texts. She was a dog lover, like myself. She had a Cavalier King Charles named Flossie, my favorite breed. Um, what she's doing in Wuthering Heights, in my mind, you know, Emily plays a lot with nature and those themes. And then also the dogs are really representative of people. Yeah. As well. So like... In your, you know, first scenes in Wuthering Heights, when um, Lockwood goes up there and he's like greeted by this like pack of dogs. Like there's a lot of like packs of dogs in this book and they're always like baring their teeth and sort of like these dogs are meant to represent, you know, Heathcliff and um, and his mood. Like they're like sort of like, you know, foreshadowing like his mood and who yeah. he is as a character. And so... Um, when he kills like those other dogs, like those other dogs are sort of like meant to represent people as well. So he does woo Isabella, the sister-in-law. And I think he gets in too deep, right? So he does it obviously in front of Kathy. He does it to bother Kathy. He does it to sort of, you know, maybe win her back really ultimately. Mm-hmm. And um Isabella completely falls for him. And I think he's in it before, like he's just in it. And he's like, oh shit, I didn't mean to do this. And he kills her dog. And I think it's more like, I'm a bad person. Like, you sh- like you just, you should have, like... But does he do it in front of her? Like, he hangs the dog by its collar. Yeah. From a wall, so it suffocates. Like, it isn't, yeah, this isn't, like, a quick, like, it's horrible. No, no, it's horrible. It's like, no, actually, Heathcliff's a horrible person. And then it happens again at the end. Yeah. The kid does it. Yeah. Well, it's like abuse that goes down through generations, right? I get so it. Like, like, I mean, yeah. honestly, I know, like, I can, I can handle it. I just, I, it, it's, it's like no, this I one mean, thing to come back to because I saw it in the film and it was yeah, really, yeah. It, well, it's distressing. Both visually times. too, that's like just, I, I don't know if Wuthering Heights translates to film. I don't know. Um, you can you hear me, it as well. Like you hear it and you see it, and yeah. like a dog, like a well, the the noise of an animal dying is is a lot, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. I the noise of anything it. dying. I like I I watched Watchmen, which is a really violent film. I cried the whole time just because people kept hitting each other. I'm a bit <laughs> a bit of a baby. No, I can't handle any sort of 
like dog violence, especially like really gets to me. Um, sorry, I just keep choking here, guys. <laughs> Some water. Um, yeah, I don't know. For me, Wuthering Heights too. Like the appeal of the book is the actual like the language itself because the language is beautiful and like she is a great poet. And I think just reading the text is a pleasure. And I don't know if it um, translates quite to film. I think it actually, I haven't seen it on stage. I've seen Jane Eyre on stage multiple times in multiple different versions of it. And Jane Eyre translates very, very well, I think, because I think the Brontes were so, so great at language. And if it's performed in a theater and if it's performed well, like that language, which is too stagey and too big for film, really works. You, you know? rely on the language a lot more yeah. in, in stage because it's filling in the blanks that the set and stuff isn't. Exactly. So um, I, I don't quite know if they work on, on film. Okay. I haven't seen a film version that works for me. Um, maybe the closest for Wuthering Heights is the 2009 version with Charlotte Riley and Tom Hardy. Um, yeah, which but, I, I will watch because you have just gone on about it so much. Well, I just, I, I don't, it's not quite right. Okay. But like Tom Hardy is interesting. I mean, again, he's just like, he is really chewing the scenery in this role. And um, I, I don't know what he's going for, <laughs> but I can't look away. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting watch. I, I recommend watching it, but I really think, you know, you should read it. Um, also, we should talk a, a little bit about the point of view, because again, it's Nellie Dean uh, telling the story of Kathy and Heathcliff and what has gone on between these two families. And, you know, Nellie has worked for these families and it's unclear what her feelings are for these two people, too. Like, so we have to keep that in mind and like how she's telling the story like is she exaggerating bits to make it a better story is she you know like what how is she okay, telling yeah. the story so you know yeah it's like a very particular decision to to say like i'm gonna tell you what like as a writer i'm yeah. gonna tell this story but i'm not telling you the story as a writer i'm telling you the story as nelly dean telling the story of someone else in the yeah. same way that jane Eyre is very consciously i am jane Eyre, and i am telling you my story. Yes. Okay. And the Brontes play with this a, a lot. And so, um, so yeah, I think that's important to keep in mind. Like, what are her feelings towards Heathcliff? What are her feelings towards Kathy? I don't think she quite likes Kathy, to be honest. This is okay. something like uh, on my last reading where I was like, ooh, I don't think Nellie likes Kathy, actually. So, um, yeah, that's going to definitely like color her judgment. So, I mean, that's something that we just need to like sort of think about. We don't, we don't really know these characters. You know, we don't know what's going on. There is, and that's what is also like really compelling about the text too. Again, it's like sort of this mystery and, you know, what is right, what is wrong, unclear. Like maybe we have to read between the lines. Maybe we have to insert in, you know, a little bit of our own judgment. Blah, blah. Anyway, anyway, I think that Wuthering Heights is ultimately, it's like this cautionary tale, but it's also like just like good gossip. You know, and it's like, I don't know. I think it's just like this story about like love either breaking you or making you. And just in this case, it completely just destroys this one person. And um, I like the way that there there is no redemption for Heathcliff. Like, spoiler alert, like Emily just kind of keeps you stringing along on that point. Like you maybe think there's several times that maybe Heathcliff can like sort of 
not even really put things right, but you know, I don't know. So have some moment of redemption, but yeah. it just like it doesn't happen. <laughs> just don't hold your breath. I mean, I think like you know, after he like after Kathy dies, like it's just I feel like it, it just gets even worse. As it would, really. It's not like she's gonna die and then he's gonna go, Oh my god, I was the worst. I should change my ways. I don't know. I just don't think that that would be him. But um, anyway, I want to take you full circle back to the Cliff Richard musical. <laughs> Hit me. Um, so there is a song in that musical. And it is called A Man or sorry, A Misunderstood Man. I keep wanting to call it A Man Misunderstood. This song is written by um, Tim Rice, the famous Tim Rice. And um, I really, really find this song interesting. And uh, Hannah, I, how about you read the lyrics <laughs> to the song here? I pulled, I pulled them up here Do I have to do like a dramatic reading or... You know, just whatever you feel in your heart from, as from you're reading start? it. Yeah. Okay. You can cut off wherever you feel is appropriate. I've never, I've never heard this, so if mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not going to sing it. But I also don't have any kind of a tune. Is that him in the corner? Is that the YouTube? Yeah, video? that is the YouTube video. Is that Cliff Richard? Yeah. Look at that facial hair. That beard. What is that? Okay. Well, I'm gonna. I'm trying to just, just get in in the spirit. We're all going on a summer holiday. Okay. <laughs> I'm there. The story is a famous one, now worshipped, now dismissed, rehearsed and trawled for meanings that may well not exist. The demon at the story's heart, the cuckoo in the nest, gives little of himself away, which is, of course, why you will stay. In case he falters, should betray by whom or what possessed, these are the facts of the matter, these are the names in the case. This is the story, the passion, the time and the place." They're laid here before you, so judge if you can. The devil incarnate, or a misunderstood man. His origins, his way of life, his motives, they're all news. No shortage of detractors to air their noisy views. The man inspires a thousand lies, the lover takes his choice, remaining coldly in control, aware that sadly, on the whole, it is the fool who bears his soul. I'll give the man a voice. These are the facts of the matter, these are the names in the case. This is the story, the passion, the time and the place. They're laid here before you, so judge if you can, the devil incarnate or a misunderstood man. So um, you did a great job reading that poem. Thank you. Thank you. I think it's my calling. It is. You're really good at it. It's a cold read too. Like you, yeah. you should be an actress. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> what a response. You An can't. actress with a really good PR agent. Yeah. Because you, That's I, me. I can't answer questions. <laughs> oh, God. Me neither. Um, well, so what I, I find so great about that song is that I um, I completely disagree with its, like, thesis. Oh. <laughs> like is he a the devil incarnate or a misunderstood man and um i just kind of think he's neither i don't know do you think it's oversimplifying the situation i do because i really do 
just even even from the one adaptation I've seen, that it just felt it just feels like a very surface level song. Like yeah. the most obvious points, it's like is yeah is he misunderstood or is he another worldly creature? It's like okay, yeah. we get it. Yeah, and I think maybe it just it just doesn't again it just doesn't translate. Like this is meant to be read as a book, not witnessed as a musical number. Especially from Cliff. Although we keep saying we're talking about this song and you haven't seen the Wuthering Heights song. So until that has happened, until that has happened, we cannot judge Sir Cliff Richard. I mean, I'm going to judge Cliff Richard. Sir Cliff Richard. But I'm going to, like, withhold judgment on Kate Bush until I see it. Okay. But, um, you know, yeah, I think it's, it's oversimplifying it. I think, you know... My reading of the text is that he's maybe like all too human and he is caught up in this, you know, in this revenge and this punishment and he cannot get out. You know, I, I just I think he's just spiraling and um, it, it's very painful to read, too. Like, I feel, you know, one of the things I do also love about this text, too, and this was brought up in that Intelligence Squared Austin versus Bronte debate is this is a book about men feeling. Yeah, I really loved that point. Yeah. And it is about, you know, this is like maybe the first time that, you know, we're getting away from Darcy's reserve and restraint, which I love in a real life man. Okay. Like that's what I want in a real life man. I do not want a Heathcliff in real life, but it's fascinating to read this man who's, who I think he just puts it all out there. I mean, he is not reserved. You know, basically what Heathcliff's feeling on every page. You know, he he says it. He does it. So um, I don't know if he's a man misunderstood. And I don't think he's like the devil incarnate. Like, I don't think that's a that's fair. But, you know, you guys might have a different feeling. And I would love to hear it. I would love to hear your thoughts on this character. And maybe even if you're like... If you are sexually attracted to Heathcliff, like, just let me know. Whoa. No judgment. I just want to know what it is about this character that you are into. Because there are people that are into Heathcliff. Yeah. And I want to know what's going on. What's what's happening? You want this, like, sort of all-consuming love? Because it just... And and what's that I hear in the distance? The roar and rumble of people clamoring to know how they can reach us. Oh, oh, good, good, good one, Hannah. I like it. Online. Online. On the line. On the line, on the Twitters and the Instagram, at bonnets at dawn. Slide into my DMs, people. I've just been waiting for someone to slide into my DMs. Can, as a finishing point, Mm -hmm. and then we'll do a quick cut after this. Uh Uh-huh. I think the Brontes might write more compelling men than Jane Austen. I think this round goes to the Brontes. Whoa! Not just Heathcliff. Rochester, I'm like, I, I have really loved reading Rochester. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of your points about Darcy being a vessel and then I think the fact that my episode about Mr. Darcy was about why are people attracted to him and yours was about Heathcliff. Yeah. Says a lot. So yeah, I would, I would say, I would say ding, ding, ding. This round goes to the Brontes. And so if there are Austin fans out there who think I'm letting the side down, like 
back like come on help a girl help out. me out because i'm i i think i think we've lost it i think we need to i think we need to just bow out of this this bit of the fight wow you wow. don't have to win every battle to win the war my people <laughs> I'm so shocked. I won't say anymore. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.